Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. Welcome back. Are you ready for today's episode? I'm ready. I don't know why I kind of just sung that intro to you, and I can't even sing, so I apologize to everyone (laughs) for that. Weird, weird bridge into today's episode. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, today we're going to be having Ashley join us. And Ashley is a tool mark examiner. Okay. So I think that that any type of item that can be used as a weapon. So I think it's pretty broad as to the type of instruments that she can look at. Okay, so like a bow and arrow or a knife or a gun or anything like that. Yeah, or like I think of like a breaking and entering, maybe trying to figure out what they use to pry the door open. Oh, okay. Break through the glass, maybe. Okay. I don't know about the glass, but you know, things like that. So like weapons and things that can be used as in a crime. Yeah. Again, Mariah speculation, but yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, awesome. This one kind of reminds me of Ashley. Other Ashley. Ashley Ashley won. I know. Two, both Ashley. Yeah. Ashley won and Ashley too. Don't get confused. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Ashley won, everybody, if you haven't listened. Uh, episode nine, Firearms Examiner. This is a different Ashley. Coincidence. Ashley won. This is Ashley two. Oh, that's But funny. both in the same, very similar fields. How ironic. Yeah, that is. Okay, cool. I'm excited to learn about Toolmark. All right. Let's uh, bring her in. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. We're really happy to have you join us and to learn all about you and learn about your career. Oh, thank you. I was really excited to hear about this because me and my daughters are very much podcast people. So I get to be cool for like maybe five minutes. So I love it. Yeah, we'll help you get some mom points for sure. (laughs) Happy to do that. I'm teaching in a high school on Friday, so it'll be nice to show the kids like some of the fun aspects of the things that we do or to have these unique opportunities. So, you know, it's not just work. So I'm kind of excited to be able to show kids like, hey, look at look at where the world's going is in a million years. I would have never thought that there would be podcasts based on the work that I do. And, and now, you know, look at that platform you could have, you know, if this is something you pursue. So I'm very excited you know, be able to share that with kids. Yeah, we love that. That's one of the benefits of our podcast is we've had so many middle schoolers reach out that are listening and have messaged with us. And Nikki and I are always like, oh, it's so amazing that these kids have an interest and that we're helping kind of highlight the different forensic careers that are available to them. And I would have loved if something like that had existed when I was you know, in middle school and high school? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Because one of the things I noticed, especially when I go into the schools, like I'm kind of more going into that high school level where they're really starting to 
be able to take the classes to benefit them and being able to tell kids like that I started in a super small town. And when I said I was going into forensics, apparently there's like a part of linguists that used to be called forensics too. So people thought that I was going to be like speaking for a career. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like this is science. Like this is crime scene investigation. And it was such a foreign thing and I'm not that old. So it's just, it's wild to see how it's evolved and how podcasts like your guys have, you know, have really gotten the word out in like in the right way. I mean, everybody loves CSI and NCIS, don't get me wrong, but getting the true science out there is just, that's the stuff that I absolutely adore. Yeah. And yeah, we're happy to have the platform to do it and happy that individuals like yourself are willing to chat with us and entertain our curious questions. So I know that you are a toolmark examiner and early on in our season, we had a firearms specialist come on and she talked us through all the different firearms and how they compare the cartridges and the cases and how the bullet spins and all these different characteristics or class characteristics that they use. What I was interested in why I reached out to you is I know there's like a whole other slew of things that you guys examine that are not firearms. And I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the the huge bulk of the work that a firearms and toolmark examiner does is going to be fired cartridge cases or any fired component that comes from a shooting scene. I mean, in today's world, that that truly makes up the large bulk of what we do. But some of the other things that we do and something that I've been actually actively working on this week is we do things called distance determination. So say if the two of you ladies were arguing and there was a question about how far away one was from the other when the shot went off into the clothing, we're doing chemical analysis on that clothing and we can bracket it out and say, Maybe that the distance of that shot was one to three inches or three to six inches, because that can either corroborate a story or it can really change the dynamics of a case around when you think that maybe it was contact and it comes out to be like 18 inches. That that can be a sizable difference in a criminal investigation. So that's another type of examination that we do. Just a clarifying question, because I was thinking this in my head while you were saying that when you're saying it's two to three inches. Is that from my foot to Nikki's foot or is that from the end of the barrel to where Nikki is? What are we measuring? We're measuring from the end of the barrel of the firearm. So whether it's a pistol or it's a revolver, where the end of that barrel is to that clothing. So whether it's a shirt, um, we've had pillows where... I mean, not to be morbid, but, you know, somebody puts a pillow over a head and pulls the trigger. It's that distance, that muzzle to garment or muzzle to, you know, whatever distance, that's the bracket that we're trying to provide to people. There was one that I had where in this situation, somebody was shot in the backside. And so the immediate assumption is that this young man had put a gun into his pants. So as that the powder and all of that is burning off the end of the pistol, that powder is transmitting itself through force and pressure and it's going onto the clothing or in this case, his pants and his underwear. So we could chemically test that. In this situation, the guy was saying, no, no, no. I was shot as I was running away from the scene. And they're like, no, you put the gun in your pants. You know, this happened. 
I could do the chemical testing that I was talking about through this gunshot residue testing. And I was able to say that there were no residues within his pants that would give me a distance. So I did corroborate his story that it was more likely that he had been telling the truth and he had been running away because that distance that I could test for was so great that it it didn't make sense to have it go off in his pants. If that kind of gives you a for instance of how we use it in the real world, I suppose. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that we're able to do that and that science can do that. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's, we're doing the science, we're showing the facts, you know, we're replicating something and we're just presenting the data. If there is a scenario where maybe a house was broken into and they think the point of entry was a side patio door, but it was obviously forced. And they think that the suspect maybe used a flathead screwdriver to pry the door. Are you ever trying to replicate the marks that were made on a door frame? Yeah, absolutely. The agency that I work for and the jurisdiction that we're in, we have a lot of seasonal homes. So we do have a lot of situations where houses are being broken into with a pry bar and the agency is going to bring us a pry bar or a screwdriver. And then they're also going to bring us, sometimes we get the whole door depending on the situation, or there's also some casting material that they can put on there and they may bring us a cast of that damage because what's happening is as that tool is being forced into a door jam or a windowsill, it's leaving behind unique characteristics. And those marks on the tool are being left on the softer surface, which would be the door frame, the window, you know, those types of situations. We do honestly get a lot of padlocks because we have, I'm not sure if you guys have these where you're at is like storage facilities where, you know, you kind of have like that roll up garage door and then everybody has like their own padlock to get to their storage. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of padlocks and bolt cutters because people are going through with big bolt cutters and it's the same concept. All toolmark examination is the theory of the harder object leaving marks on the softer object and kind of very basic terms. So in that situation, your harder object is the tool and that's your bolt cutters and it's leaving those individual characteristics as it's chopping or cutting or slicing into the actual padlock itself. So they bring the bolt cutter and the padlock to you. Are you trying to recreate to make sure that it was this bolt cutter that cut this lock? Yes, yes. We actually have, we have different uh, like options at the lab. We try and keep as many different mediums that we can to try and replicate. So sometimes our most often thing that we use is either sheet lead or rolled lead. So it's literally this very soft, malleable lead. So it's leaving the most perfect impression of that tool. So I will actually take the bolt cutters and cut into sections of rolled lead and sometimes I might have to take a few different sets, but you're putting those jaws into the lead and the lead is actually capturing all of the striations that at your naked eye you are unable to see. But under the microscope, you can see all those unique markings that are created when it's manufactured or the defects that have carried over because somebody has done something with that tool. Perhaps they tried to cut into something that it wasn't able to get through. So now the jaws have been damaged in a way that now will carry over in every cut. So with that lead, as you kind of slice into it, you're getting those unique characteristics to transfer over. So then I can put them on my microscope and I can look at them and I can compare them back to the actual padlock. Or if you have a screwdriver or anything where you can wedge into a door, uh, like a crowbar, we're actually going to push 
that tool across the lead to make marks or we're going to pull it because they're all going to look a little bit different. That's interesting because when we talked the firearms, she was saying about the casings and how it has its own little imprint and stuff like that. And I think that the tools would probably be harder because it's, they don't have like every, what is that? I'm like doing it with my hands. You can't see it. What like the, um, <laughs> you know, oh my God, I can't think of the name right now. Um, Oh God, like the cutter, you know, the bolt cutter. There we go. Those are just standard. Like it doesn't have its own imprint or anything like that. You're saying, Nikki, you can't trace it back to a specific brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like more of a generic tool type. It is hard to do those types of examinations. I would say they are more complex, but from our angle, I would say it has more to do with, you have to look at this piece of evidence. Yes, you have a piece of tool, but you have to imagine like in the instance that you gave of breaking open a door, did they push that screwdriver in and then push it back? Which side? Because if you think about it, there's two sides to the screwdriver. So which side may have gone in first? If you ever take a look at bolt cutters and you look at the blades, there's actually many sides to that blade because there's the top jaw and the bottom jaw. There's a right, there's a left. There might be a flat spot on the bottom. So there are so many working surfaces on that tool that recreating that is I would say more complicated, but I think for everybody to try and have like a broader understanding is for us and the way that we explain it is tool marks is kind of like the father, like having that understanding of how all that information is made and how those marks are left behind is kind of like the biggest broadest umbrella in firearms examination is almost like a subset because in that situation, your gun or your rifle or your shotgun or, you know, whatever, that's actually like a tool because it's the harder object. It's leaving those unique characteristics behind on the softer item, which is your bullet as it goes down the barrel, your cartridge case as it's fired and ejected from the firearms. What about a knife? Is that part of the tool too? Yes. Unfortunately, anytime you can think about a tool being used in a criminal situation, we have had it. We've had knives. They don't come in as frequently, but knives and tires, you know, obviously somebody's going to get angry at another person and they're going to stab out their tires. Um, we've had axes come into the laboratory before, but the thing that we see the most would be those padlock screwdrivers, bolt cutters, you know, that type of situation. When it comes to your job, tool is like a broad term. So it could be any object that was potentially used to commit a crime. So if I hit Nikki in the head with like a soda can, I mean, I don't think I could do damage to her head, but maybe I could. That soda can potentially would become a tool that you guys would recreate to see, okay, she would have had to hit her from the left or the right. And she would have had to use this much impact to make that sort of injury. I think in a situation like that, the problem is, is the the tools have unique characteristics in the way that they're manufactured. In your situation, I don't know that a soda can will. Just to take it and like bring it up to the nth degree, if you hit her with an axe, okay, now we may have something because that axe was manufactured. That axe may have been ground down. That axe may have been filed. There's different things to sharpen the blade. So when that axe was made, it's imparting unique characteristics that then get left in the softer material. You need those unique characteristics. You know, if I hit somebody with the edge of a picture frame, are there individual characteristics within that picture frame? Probably not, but those tools are, and that's a lot of the training that we do is we go into manufacturers, we learn how they made channel locks. I learned how they made bolt cutters. I understand the filing process that goes into a screwdriver. So you know what you're looking for because of the way that they're designed. And 
That's really interesting that you get to go to the manufacturing of these things. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that people have the hardest time understanding about these particular positions is as of now, there's not a degree. Like you you can't go to your local university and come out as a firearms and tool mark examiner. That for right now, that experience is done by going into manufacturing facilities and it is a privilege to, you know, because a lot of that is proprietary information, but to be able to go in and have an understanding of, yes, we're broaching the surface, we're milling the surface. So when you're looking at something, you're like, okay, I remember it, like that makes sense. This was manufactured in such and such a way. Or if you see something, you're like, wow, what am I looking at? Being able to go out to those resources and be like, did you guys change your process? Are you doing something differently? So you have to have the hands-on knowledge and it's almost like a journeymanship, working with somebody and building and growing constantly and constantly learning. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I was going to ask, is there a lot of you? No, I, it is kind of wild for me to think because I work for a state agency. So we are a little bit larger, but still it's such a small niche that it's a very small group compared when I say that comparatively to say DNA, you know, that is a huge body of people that are performing large amounts of casework versus I feel like ourselves and maybe even to some extent latent print examiners, not the crime scene aspect of latent prints, but the actual like people who are doing the analytical work of the images. It seems like such a small group of us that that make up those subsections. So it's so interesting to me because I would think that there would be so many more of you. I would think that these types of jobs, that there would be an overflow, like nurses, you know, there's just, there's so many nurses and it's hard to get into. I would think the same thing with forensics. It always just blows my mind. And maybe that's because people see these shows and they think it's as quick and as fast, like you get the results this fast. Oh yeah, no, I would agree with that because just the timeframe that it takes to do something like right now, I've been spending a week on something in that you know, that's, I think that's hard for people to conceptualize that I've been working on one case for a week. Now, why does it take you a week? I would say firearms and toolmark is, is unique in the fact that we have so many different things that we can do. So the case that I'm doing, I have fired cartridge cases. I have fired bullets. I have a shirt that I have to test for distance determination. So I have many, many pieces that it's going to take me time to do. That's one, two, three, four maybe five different types of examinations and documentation that need to go along. So it is time consuming, but honestly, some of them you may get through them in an hour. Like it just, it really does depend on how much, how big, how involved, you know, the casework is. Are some cases just challenging that you can't solve and you can't compare the markings? Are you usually always get a result? We actually have kind of three broad results. So you can have an identification, meaning that this fired cartridge case that this agency collected from that scene is identified as having been fired from this suspected firearm. You can also have a situation where you may have an elimination. So somebody hands you a fired cartridge case and you look at the characteristics and you say, 
you know, this is eliminated based on firing pin shape, caliber, or like you talked about those class characteristics. But then we also have a third answer, which is inconclusive. And sometimes that just means there's not enough information. So I cannot give you an answer one way or another. And that, and that does happen from time to time. Situations where I find it most frequent is bullets out of bodies, not to be gross, you know, and it may sit in human matter for an extended period of time. Sometimes they don't look great coming out of a body. So there may be a situation where I'm just, there's not enough information. So I have to go to the answer of inconclusive where I can't tell you that it is, and I can't tell you that it's not. So those are three of the answers. So there's always something to be said, and there's always something to come from it. It just may not be a yes or a no. There a case that you worked that has kind of stuck with you either because it was memorable or extremely challenging? Over the years, there have been some that have really stuck. One of them, which I kind of alluded to earlier, was the situation where we had one individual put a pillow over the head of another individual after a weekend of activities. And the person with a gun put the gun right to the pillow, pulled the trigger, and the person laying down sat up and was alive. And so the shooter took off running and the person that was attempted to be shot was not happy either because they had some damage done to their face, but again, still alive. So the evidence came into the laboratory and my coworker and I are just looking at this and we're like, what do you want us to do? Like we see a pillow, we see a gun, but there was no bullets. There was no nothing. There was no blood that we're like, what are we supposed to do with this case? So we kind of sat and sat and you know, kind of kept looking at it and looking at the pillow and trying to figure out like what had actually happened. And um, what ended up happening is as the person had put the gun to the pillow and pulled the trigger, that bullet, as you guys kind of talked about with that rifling and the spinning that occurs, had actually spun into the fabric and the cotton of the pillow, almost like a kind of a wicked spider web and just had kind of hit the individual on the bottom in the face and stopped. So it was just literally, the bullet was just spun up in the pillow like a spider. I still can't believe, because I mean, that should have obviously killed somebody immediately. It was so crazy just to think that just the action of that spinning, getting caught in that cotton and to literally just spin it through just a standard cotton pillowcase and you know, the guy lived. <laughs> that's crazy. I feel like that's like um, Final Destination. Remember that movie where people were supposed to die, but something else happened and they didn't. <laughs> it's yes. crazy. There, I mean, I'd like to say it was science. It was probably halfway divine intervention or something. I mean, it was just. Right. That one, just because of the insanity kind of stuck with me. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. The one case that I was talking about where the young man got shot in the backside while running away. That one was a big one for me too, because it was, it was so wild to go and testify for defense, to be able to present that data. Because I think people always assume like, oh, you go and testify for prosecutions. Like, no, I testify for defense too. So that one was interesting for me. With those type of cases, no one got arrested? I honestly, I'm not sure. That's kind of one of the weird disconnects. I think at least for us as scientists, we don't get a lot of follow-up. So it is kind of weird for me to even ever hear something. I've had a few prosecutors like send a message and they'll be like, hey, you know, thanks again for everything just to let you know. And then this was the the outcome. But a lot of the times I honestly don't 
I don't ever hear anything. It just kind of go on to the next case and go on to the next case and, you know, and keep kind of plugging along. That would drive me and Mariah crazy. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. I I need to know the end results. Well, and I think for me, it's always been that way. So I guess ignorance is bliss. I just kind of keep humming along and go to the next case and the next case and the next case. Oh my gosh. I would go crazy. I couldn't do it. I need a conclusion. Does your job affect your parenting, Ashley? Because I've feel being exposed to the level of humanity the way that you are that would make me really overprotective I think yeah it is an everyday effort to not try and be a helicopter parent but I am so much more overprotective probably than what my kids are happy about and it's hard for me because like they'll be telling me what neighborhood they're going into and I'm kind of like not a good idea you know we had five shootings and you know so you have that spinning in your back your mind but still trying to foster a sense of independence. So I try and be not a helicopter mom or whatever the term is that they're using nowadays, but it is really hard, but also my kids about being aware of your surroundings. So they probably are sick and tired of hearing me say situational awareness time and time and time again. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I know it's hard on them, but it's also hard you know, for me and even my husband's, I don't really come home and talk a lot about work. I try, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I, I try and be the type of person that when I walk out at five, like it needs to stay at work. Like the things that I see, the things that I do, um, the cases that I have to learn about, I like to really keep it behind me. So when I get home, I try and shut that down, but try and educate my kids on making safe choices. But it is such a fine line because I do want to send them out into the world to be successful young ladies. But at the same time, I need to make sure that I'm not losing sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe we can segue just to a couple fun questions to wrap it out. Does that sound good? That's totally fine. I'm good. Awesome. Okay, so mine always is, if you were to pick your last meal, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is a very multifaceted question because I have celiac. So can we pretend I don't have it anymore? Absolutely. Wait. Oh, pizza and breadsticks. <laughs> From where? Um, there's a small pizza shop in my hometown where I grew up. And it was like, it's like that thing everybody goes to. Like, it's just, you don't know why, but it's just good. Oh, yeah. I would have the biggest, like, supreme pizza and then only their breadsticks and a huge thing of sauce. And like, oh, ooh. I would be the happiest woman alive. Well, Done. what what about dessert now that what dessert would you have? Oh, oh my gosh. I still don't have celiac. Nope. You're free. The biggest piece of like decadent chocolate cake humanly possible. I don't have had chocolate cake. So yeah, I'm such a super, if I can have, if I could have gluten, then heck yeah. Like, yeah. I'm gluten-free too, but not celiac, but I think that's a whole nother level. Cause I don't have it to where I have it like you, where it's a real big problem, right? Yeah, no, give me some freaking chocolate cake. I, oh, oh. Like a real chocolate cake. Like with oh, flour. Oh yeah, layers of chocolate cake with flour. Like, yes. Please. I always like to ask this one. What is something that you have a lot of? Oh, good heavens. I have way too many pairs of sunglasses and probably just as many coats. I, my husband and I are both guilty of like coats. We love just coats, which is... <laughs> such a random thing to have too many of that's, that's funny because lighting might be different like oh you might need if we're out on the water you need them to be like polarized and mirrored but if you're doing this you want this type of sunglass and then because I was biking I had sunglasses for biking but then if I'm running I they're not comfortable because you'd be surprised how irritating something can be if it doesn't fit perfectly after like 10 miles so like 
different sunglasses for running. So yeah, sunglasses and jackets, like all sorts of random coats and jackets. And yeah, it's borderline embarrassing. If they were going to turn your day at the job into a movie, who would you want to play you? Jennifer Gardner. I love her. Yeah. That, I mean, I feel like that would be like a solid fit. Like it kind of looks like me, weird sense of humor sometimes in shows. Like, yeah. I love that. Well, Ashley, thank you again for joining us and kind of expanding on tool marks and firearms examination. We really appreciate it. It's really helpful to hear a different perspective and to hear more different ways that you guys are working cases. And we had such a great time with you this afternoon and we really appreciate it. Oh, I, I'm very thankful for this opportunity and it went by really fast and it was a lot of fun getting to know you guys as well too. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. <laughs> okay, so would you be putting your application in to do the job or not this one? I think I would. I think I would because- yeah? Yeah, it's it's science heavy too, so I don't know if I would be good at that, but I think I could do it. I would like it. Okay, okay. I don't think that I like that you don't know the conclusions though. That kills me. Yeah, I feel like that's always a toughie, right? Not getting that, you know, closing of the chapter. Right? That kills me. But, I mean, I could see that this could be a fun like, I feel like my cubicle would be next to Ashley from Firearms Examiner. Yeah. Shout out to episode nine, Ashley. Yeah, I feel like my cubicle would be like next to her and she'd be like doing her firearms and I'd be like doing the crowbars, you know? Right. Could be fun. Yeah, I liked it. I like, I think it's just a really interesting, interesting job. And she's a fantastic. I love her. She's so fun. Yeah, she's very sweet. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just crazy how they can decipher, you know, between a crowbar or a screwdriver or whatever the case, the bolt cutters, like getting down to the specific type of bolt cutter is crazy. Yeah, it was really neat. And I thought it was cool how they go to different manufacturers and see how these guns and tools are made. And then that helps mm -hmm. her in doing the job, you know, figuring everything out. Yeah, like getting that behind the scenes peek behind the curtain. Right? No, so cool. Loved it. Loved her. She's super fun. Yeah, science is awesome. You're more science-y. So I think you could handle this one better because you are more into the science. I don't know. I feel like this, though, to me, feels more like a puzzle, and that's not my jam. Yeah, it kind of is. You know what I mean? Like, it's more like, I have this one indentation. What could it possibly be? And it's not, I don't know. I feel like it's too much puzzle work for me. So, no, I think that you're more, you can do the microscope, and I'll do the puzzle. Yeah, okay, yeah. We can tag team. Yeah, that I can handle. I can handle a microscope. And some like solid note taking. Right? Yeah. I feel confident with that. Okay. Okay. That's a deal. All right. Well. Okay. Well, she was fantastic and I loved it. Perfect. I loved her. She was great. Awesome. Well, guys, before we let you uh, carry on with your week, just a friendly reminder, if you are enjoying learning alongside Nikki and I, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. And be a dear and head over and leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. The reviews help us a lot and we love to hear from you guys. So thank you much and we'll see you guys back next week. 
Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to burial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. <laughs>